Chapter 5 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinaymala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Sleevister. Chapter 5. The Countess Landoff had gone to meet her granddaughter as far as the vestibule, which was hung with Japanese crepe and lighted by red Venetian lanterns in wrought iron frames. She had been convinced from the first that the brilliant description which Dr. Herberg had given of her granddaughter was not to be trusted, and she had consequently moderated her expectations. But yet she was startled at what she encountered in the vestibule the door of which the ever-ready Ludek had left open. At first, she thought that the tall spear girl in that gown was her granddaughter's attendant. But since behind the awkward creature, whose clothes were all awry, stalked a broad-shouldered female grandeur with a woollen kerchief on her head and a pasteboard bandbox in her hand, she doubted no longer which was her granddaughter. It was not necessary for Dr. Herbuck to present the girl to her with, Here is the young countess, your excellency. She advanced a step and touched the girl's forehead with her lips. Welcome to Berlin, dear child, she said coldly. This then was her granddaughter, this angular creature with red wrists and a servant who wore a woollen kerchief on her head and carried in her hand an archaic pasteboard bandbox. The countess shuddered. Will you have a cup of tea, my dear doctor? She said, turning to her lawyer, with the hope of putting a little life into the situation. Then, seeing him look at her with something of the dismay in his expression, which Goswin Fancido's features had shown when she had complained that this was to be her last comfortable evening, she added hastily, You will not. Well, you are right. It is late. Another time, my dear Herbug, you will do me the pleasure. And I, I could hardly remain with you. I am too, too desirous of making acquaintance with my granddaughter. The last words came with something of first stumble, as if the countess had been obliged to give them a push before they would leave her lips. The doctor took a ceremonious leave, Minna with her bandbox, which she refused to allow anyone to take from her, was conducted by a footman to the servant's hall, the Countess Landoff having informed her that her own maid would attend for this evening to her young mistress's wants. Erika followed her grandmother through several brilliantly lighted apartments, the arrangement of which produced upon her the impression of a fairy tale, to an airy little room adjoining the old Countess's sleeping apartment. This is your room, said the Countess Landoff. I had your bed put for the present in my dressing room. It is the best arrangement. And, and I, I think I would rather have you close at hand. Of course, it is all provisionary. I do not even know yet what is to be done with you. Whether, whether you will stay with me or go for a while to some school. At any rate, for the present, you must try to feel comfortable with me. Comfortable? It was asking much of the girl that she should feel comfortable under the circumstances. She wanted to say something. 
it annoyed her to have to play the part of a dunce her poor youthful pride rebelled against it but she said not a word she had to summon up all her resolution to keep back the tears that would well up to her eyes with the slow stony gaze of one who is determined not to cry she looked about her upon her new surroundings how airy and fragrant how bright and fresh and inviting it all was but in the midst of this paradise she stood trembling with fatigue sore in soul and body timid and sad with but one wish that she might creep away somewhere into the dark her grandmother perceived something of the girl's suffering but still could not overcome her own distaste will you dress first or have some supper immediately she asked with an evident effort to be kind as she spoke her bright eyes scanned the girl from head to foot poor erica she understood only too clearly that her grandmother was disappointed in her that personally she was in no respect what the old lady had hoped for i should like to brush off some of this dust she stammered meekly her voice was remarkably soft and sweet and her accent brought a reminiscence of the austrian intonation so much admired in berlin for the first time the countess's heart was moved in favor of the young creature some chord within her vibrated agreeably well my child do just as you like she said rather more warmly as she made an attempt to unfasten the top button of the ugly black garment that so disfigured her granddaughter with a shy gesture erica raised her hands and held her poor gown together over her breast there was something in the gesture that touched the old lady you may go she said to the maid who had meanwhile been unpacking erica's travelling bag i will ring for you when we want you then turning to erica she added i will help you myself to undress erica's sensations can hardly be described apart from the fact that in consequence of her intense shyness the shyness of a very strong pure nature bred in solitude it was terrible to her even to take off her gown in the presence of a stranger it suddenly seemed very hard to her she had not thought of it at first to expose to her grandmother's penetrating gaze the poverty of her wardrobe she trembled from head to foot as her grandmother drew down her gown from her shoulders but strange to say it almost seemed as if with the ugly dress some sort of barrier of separation between herself and her grandmother were removed the old lady's bright eyes were dimmed by a certain emotion as she noticed the chorus ill-made but daintily white linen shift that left bare a small portion of the young half-developed shoulders poor thing she murmured the words coming for the first time warm from her heart then stroking the girl's long slender nobly modeled arm she said how fair you are i only begin now to see what you look like she lifted the heavy knot of shining hair from the back of erica's neck and in the assess of that absence of mind for which she was noted in the berlin word of society exclaimed mesele magnifique in 3 years she will be a beauty turn your head a little to the left her granddaughter's stare of dismay recalled her what would goswin say if he heard me she thought and smiled 
Erika had only bathed her face and hands and slipped on a long white dressing gown of her grandmother's when the maid brought in a waiter with her supper. In spite of her continued sense of discomfort, youth demanded its rights. She was decidedly hungry and it was long since she had seen anything so inviting as this dainty repast. She sat down and began to eat. The countess observed her narrowly but saw nothing to displease her. Her grandchild's manner of eating and drinking, of holding her fork, her glass of water, all was just as it should be. The whole thing seemed odd to the Countess Landoff. She delighted in everything odd. Not to disturb the girl at her repast, she looked away from her, glancing at the contents of the shabby old travelling bag which the maid had unpacked. How poverty-stricken it all looked, in almost ridiculous, no, in positively pathetic contrast with the young creature who, in spite of her awkwardness, had a regal air. Maisele Soupe Where were my eyes? the countess thought as she casually picked up a book from among Erika's belongings. It was a volume of Plutarch. Tis comical enough, she thought, if I am to have a little blue stocking in the house. As she turned over the leaves rather absently, she noticed that passages here and there were encircled by thick pencil marks. Sometimes an entire page would be thus marked, sometimes only a few lines. What does that mean? she asked. My mother always used to mark so in my books the parts that I must not read, Erika said simply. The countess' eyes flashed. How sure a way to lead a child to taste the forbidden fruit! Or was it possible? that girls growing up in that country under the exclusive influence of a mother might be differently constituted from girls in cities and boarding schools? And you really did not read those portions? She asked, half smiling. The girl's face grew dark. How could I? She exclaimed almost angrily. Brava, cried her grandmother, patting her grandchild's shoulder. You are an honourable little lady, a very great rarity. We shall get along very well together. But far from the girls expressing any pleasure at this frank recognition of her excellence, her face did not relax one whit. Erika had gone to bed. Countess Landoff was still up and pacing her chamber to and fro. She thoroughly understood the full significance of her granddaughter's being with her. She was neither heartless nor complaining. But where emotion was concerned, a sensitive old woman who studiously avoided everything that could agitate her nerves. But at present, she could not control her emotion. Feeling awoke within her as from a long sleep. At first, she was conscious only of a vague discomfort, a strange sensation which she ascribed to nervousness that must be controlled. But far from being controlled, it increased, growing stronger until it became a positive hunger of the heart. The self-dissatisfaction which had begun to torment her when she learned that Erika after her mother's death had been entirely uncared for, left alone with her stepfather, now increased tenfold. It was the fault of the Pole, who had not notified her of his wife's death. But this excuse did not content her. How could she blame him? What had he done save follow her example in caring only for his own personal ease? 
the unkindness with which she had treated her daughter-in-law now troubled her more than her loveless neglect of her grandchild had she any right to despise and cast her off because of her weakness good heavens she was a rare creature in spite of everything she had shown herself so in her child's education what an influence she must have exercised over the girl to preserve her from deterioration through those terrible 3 years poor emma the old countess's heart grew heavy as she recalled her her injustice to the poor woman dated from years back she could not deny it she had never been fond of her daughter-in-law each differed too fundamentally from the other on the one hand was anna landoff with her keenly observant mind self interested even in her strict morality which in her arrogance she regarded as the necessity of her nature for moral purity and independence something for which she claimed no merit since she practiced it solely for her private satisfaction good natured but without enthusiasm endlessly but lovelessly indulgent to humanity and rather of opinion that life is nothing but a farce with a tragic conclusion something out of which the most advantage may be gained by observing it from a safe comfortable corner without ever making an attempt to mingle in its activities firmly convinced that the best conduct of life consists in acknowledging its glaring contradictions its lack of harmony in making use of palliatives where they are of use and in postponing for as long as possible the facing of the huge deficit sure to appear at the close of every human existence and on the other hand was emma emma who had a positive horror of the philosophy of life which her mother-in-law with easy indifference denominated my laughing despair emma who believed in everything in god in humanity yes even as her mother-in-law maintained in the cure of leprosy and the disinterestedness of english politics emma for whom an existence in which she could take no active part was devoid of interest and who looked upon a loveless life as worse than death emma whose unselfishness bordered upon fanaticism blinding her conscience for a moment now and then when she would have given to one person what she had no right to take from others emma utterly unable to appreciate proportion and moderation and who scorning all the palliatives and makeshifts with which one eases existence demanded from life absolute happiness and consequently dazzled by an illusion plunged blindly into an abyss ah if it had been only an abyss but no it was a slough and anna landoff could not traverse it it certainly was strange that she who found an excuse for every criminal of whom she read in the papers had never been able to forgive her daughter-in-law when thanks to her inborn thirst for the romantic she forgot herself so far as to adore that polished non-entity what in the world could a woman of sense find in romance when anna van roden at 22 had married count ernest landoff her views of life were in great measure the same that she had since elaborated so perfectly she was of courland descent and the daughter of a prominent diplomat in the russian service unlike her daughter-in-law she had been a courted beauty 
but at two and twenty she had turned her back upon all the sentimental possibilities to which in virtue of her great charm she had a right and had married count landoff whose entire part in her existence she afterwards summed up in declaring that he really had bored her very little and that she maintained was a great deal in her husband she had become acquainted with him in paris where he was secretary to the prussian legation and she married him there afterwards he took up his abode in berlin where he held a distinguished position in the ministry of foreign affairs in moments of insolent frankness she was wont to describe him as an automaton whose key was in the possession of whoever might be minister of foreign affairs once wound up he could perform all the duties of his office during the few hours in which they were required of him when they were over he was a lifeless wooden figurehead nothing more a wooden figurehead whom one is obliged to drag after one in life conduces but little to one's comfort especially when the wooden figurehead is of the dimensions of count ernest landoff and of this his wife shortly became aware with great courtesy and skill she removed him from her life as soon as possible placing him somewhere in the background upon a suitable pedestal the best place for wooden figureheads and one where they can be made to look very effective the countess only son was the very image of his father and quite as imposingly wooden if emma following her mother-in-law's example could have courtesy and respectfully put him upon a pedestal in some corner where he would not have been in her way she might have led a very tolerable life with him the mistake was that she attempted to make him happy poor emma as if one possibly could make a wooden figure head happy young count landoff was extremely uncomfortable in view of his wife's exertions to make him happy what ensued was of a very unedifying character from being simply a state of contented indifference the marriage became a decidedly irksome bond nevertheless it was most unfortunate for emma when edmund landoff two years after their marriage lost his life in a railway accident had he lived her existence might at least have been a quiet one in time she would have relinquished her ill-judged attempts to make him happy and have found an object in life in the education of her child while as it was he was no sooner dead than her existence began to totter uncertainly like a ship from which the ballast has been removed at first she sickened as her mother-in-law expressed it with an attack of acute philanthropy she haunted the most disreputable corners of berlin in search of cases of misery to be relieved never allowing a servant to accompany her because as she explained it might humiliate the poor upon one of her excursions her watch was snatched from her and another time she caught spotted fever this was very annoying to the countess anna but she forgave her with as she was wont to declare praiseworthy courage in view of the terrible disease six months afterwards emma married stranceski and this her mother-in-law did not forgive her since then fourteen years had passed fourteen years during which she had had nothing whatever to do with poor emma and now she was sorry again and again did the countess anna revert to the education given to the young girl asleep in the next room 
a woman who could so educate her child and who could continue so to influence her after her death was no ordinary character of course she had had fine material to work upon and the old countess was conscious of an emotion never awakened within her by her son yet now aroused by her granddaughter pride in her own flesh and blood a splendid creature she murmured to herself once or twice then adding with a sneer at her own lack of perception and i was fool enough to think her ugly at first whom does she resemble she is not in the least like her mother nor like my son still pondering she paused in her monotonous pacing to and fro strangely thrilled going to an antique bull cabinet with the multitude of drawers she opened one of them a secret drawer which had long been undisturbed and began to look through its contents at last she found what she sought a lithograph representing a young girl decollete and with the huge sleeves in fashion in 1830 a very charming young girl the picture portrayed countess landoff when she was still anna van rodel the little faded picture trembled in the old lady's hand it worked upon her like a spell carrying her back to a time long forgotten a time when life had been to her something different from a farce with a tragic ending by which one might be vastly entertained but in which one should scorn to play a part she was suddenly deeply pained at sight of the beautiful grave proud young face it suggested to her something that had begun very finely and ended in unutterable bitterness something through which the best and most genial part of her had been destroyed or at least paralyzed hark what was that a low suppressed sob another they came from the adjoining room the old countess dropped the little picture and with the candle in her hand went to her granddaughter's bedside when she heard her grandmother coming erica closed her eyes feigning sleep but she had not time to wipe away the tears from her cheeks her grandmother set the candle upon the table and then bending over the girl whispered softly erica erica did not stir how pathetic she looked pale and thin and yet so noble and charming in spite of the traces of tears the countess sat down upon the edge of the bed and stroked the girl's wet cheeks erica my darling what is the matter are you homesick then erica opened her large eyes and looked gloomily at her grandmother she answered not a word but compressed her lips how could her grandmother ask her if she was homesick when all that she had of home was a grave for one moment the old countess hesitated then lifting the reluctant girl from the pillows she clasped her to her breast pressing her lips upon the golden head and murmuring softly forgive me my child forgive me for one moment erica's obstinate resistance was maintained then she began to sob convulsively and then then her grandmother felt the slender form nestle close within her arms while the weary young head fell upon her shoulder and a sensation of sweet young warmth penetrated to the countess's very heart which suddenly grew quite heavy with tenderness erica was soon sound asleep but her grandmother still felt no desire to retire to rest i will write to goswin she said to herself i must tell him she is charming 
and that I will make her happy. End of chapter 5